All right, if you would turn to the first letter to Timothy. 1 Timothy will be in chapter 3 today. Only have a couple of verses as our text, but a lot of supporting. So we'll be in 1 Timothy 3. Just for those who may not be familiar, this is the Apostle Paul who's writing a letter to Timothy. And in this, he's giving instruction. Instruction not only how to be a pastor, but for deacons, for wives, for members, for the entire church if you will. And, uh, you know, this is something, I'll tell you a little funny, funny thing. So I, you know, grew up in church, uh, thankful to my parents for, for that. But um, I remember very specifically, not too long after I was called to preach here, that I was sitting at the kitchen table reading first and second Timothy, and then I kept on over to Titus. I was like, hey, these are, these, are, these are to me. And they are largely. They're text written to pastors. Uh, but there's tremendous amount of value that you can get from studying these, these texts. Um, and so that's what I want to do today. I'm going to look at this. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, I'll just read verse 15 and 16. And we see kind of a summary in between an opening and a closing that Paul is giving. He says in verse 15, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed unto the world, and received up in glory. If you bow with me for just a minute. Lord, we come to you today and I ask that you would be with us during this time. Lord, that you would remove any distractions that we have from our minds, any concerns about what's coming up next for the lunch or this afternoon, what's coming up later this week or even next week or next month. And Lord, I pray that just for a few minutes you would calm us, allow us to focus on the message that you have for us today, the wisdom that is the scriptures that you have given us. Lord, and I pray that you would allow us to let our guard down to you. Lord, to stand open before you and receive the word that you have for us to help us to apply it to our lives and not only just to apply it for now, but to remember this as we go throughout our day and week and month and year. Lord, that you would lead us and guide us into all truth. In your name we pray. Amen. So as I said, Paul is writing instructions to Timothy and he's telling them, look, if I'm going to be a long time, I have to tell you, and again, to some degree, the others in the church, how you are to behave, what you're supposed to do. Well, it's been a few years, hasn't it? It's been almost 2,000 years or more. And many people for many generations have taught and preached correctly that at any moment, Jesus Christ may come back and take us away. And it's just as true now as it was then. And we're just as closer now than we ever have been. And I have no idea how long it will last. I have no idea how long it will go on. No doubt every generation has said, well, this has got to be it. And I'm even getting, I guess, with enough years on that I'm beginning to think the same thing. Surely it's about time. 
But regardless of how long it takes, we have been given instructions of how we are to behave, how we are to think, how we are to act, and primarily it is discussing this in context of a church. So I want to take just a few minutes today and talk about that. But I do want to remind us what Peter says, 2 Peter 3, 9, says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so for those who have never fully known the truth of Jesus Christ, who've never come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, we ought to be thankful that you're still here because you still have an opportunity. God has delayed for whatever reason in his own time and his own will to do so that you have today, or at least at this moment, to consider your place before an almighty God. And so I encourage you to do that today while we preach. And that brings up a great question that God is delaying. He's not slow in his promise, as it says, some people count slowness, but he's wanting more of us to reach repentance. But that really brings a great question that was asked um, in Ezekiel, how then should we live? What should we do? Knowing that we're here today, knowing that we are here celebrating a homecoming, 118 years that this church has been here, that it was officially established and it was started a few years before that, and and some homes and things of that nature. But it's been here officially 118 years. How should we live today? I hope to answer that question. But to do that, I want to look at a few words in verse 15. I am not a a Greek or a Hebrew scholar. I've not been trained in this, but I do know how to use some tools to help expand a few things. So the first thing I want to do is understand it talks about uh, the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And before that, it talks about the house of God. And I want to ask a very simple question. Is this the house of God? Nobody's going to answer. Is this the house of God? Was it at about five o'clock this morning? I don't think it was. Because there wasn't anybody here. This is a building that we come and worship in. This is an organization that we call Taylor's Chapel. But the house of God is wherever God's people are gathered because that's where the Spirit of God is at. And so when we are here and we have believers in our midst, then this is the very house of God. And when we are all gone, it ceases to be the house of God until we are together again with other believers. And then there that place is the house of God. God is not a God of a physical place. He's a God of a spirit. And whether we dwell together, he is there. And so when we talk about this church, this dwelling, this house of God, let us understand in context, he's talking about who? About us, those of us who are believers. And then he goes on, just in case you need to make this any plainer, he goes on and says, which is the church of the living God. I'm just going to pause here for just a minute. And we've discussed this in the past, but I'll just review real quick. This word church is really not a great translation. The original word is ecclesia. And that means to be called out, an assembly. And what is being signified whenever this word church, again, it should be better translated, is the idea that those who are believers who are called out of this world to live together, to worship God together. We are not like the rest of the world. 
I don't say that with arrogance. I don't say that to put anyone down. I say that to put us into remembrance that we, being the saved brothers and sisters who know the Lord and the Lord knows us, are not like the rest of the world. And he has called us out from the rest of the things that go on here. We are those who have been called out to be something different, to be something that the scripture says is peculiar, is his special treasure. And that is us. And so when we see this word, when it says, which is the church of the living God, understand that it's those of us who are called out and called by God to love him and to be loved by him. That is what he is referring to. Those of us who are called to him. So we have to ask that really important question. Have you been called? Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you received the grace and the mercy that only Jesus Christ can give you? I'll let you think on that one for a few minutes. Jesus Christ told us in John 17 and 16, they, talking about us, are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. You see, we're called out. We're called to be different. That's our job, and that'll come very plainly here in a minute. So the ecclesia, those who are called out of the living God, are the pillar and ground of the truth. Or it might say pillar and foundation. Now, these are some peculiar words for this scripture. They don't seem that strange to us in English, but they're actually very specific in the the Greek language. Pillar means what it sounds like, a column, a support, something that holds something up. And a foundation is the same idea. You're going to prop or support something up. You're going to ground it. Both of these imply that the church, those of us, right, people, not a building, not an organization, but people together, that we are called out to do something important. That we are to stiffen or to stabilize or to hold fast or to hold up something. And that's where I want to focus today. So Christ, I want to make this very clear, is the full ground of what we're talking about in all ways. First Corinthians three eleven. for uh, no one can lay a foundation other than that, which is laid of Jesus Christ. And so understand when I'm standing here today and telling you that, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth, understand that ultimately we are on the bedrock of what? Of Jesus Christ. He is the only firm foundation. And if we build on anything else, it doesn't work. We even teach this to our young little kids, don't we? We build a house in the sand, it goes splat, right? The firm foundation has to be Jesus Christ. There's something else that we're considering too, and that is the apostles. Ephesians 2 and 20 says, Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, and whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. And lastly comes us. The Ecclesia, Ephesians 2 and 22. In him, you were also being built together into a dwelling place for, for God by the Spirit. And so this is an important thing for us to understand that we are uh, a bedrock grounded on who Jesus Christ is. Absolute firm foundation. There is nothing else that you can base your life on than Jesus Christ. And what he has done for us is he has given us this scripture for us to use to do that. And when we come to know him, he then gives us his Holy Spirit that allows us to seek guidance in truth and to know what we should do. And then it's up to us to do it. And how many times have we messed 
that up. I'll raise my hand and say a lot. But thanks be to God and his grace and mercy and love that he gives us another chance, another chance, and another chance. And that he sent his apostles and that he sends his preachers and that he sends people to teach us and to commune together, to withdraw from the world as we have today inside of this building so that we can learn to love him more. But there's something very important here I want to point out. The pillar and ground or the pillar and the foundation or the column and foundation or however you want to use those two words, those are predicates. It means it's talking and describing something that comes next. And the truth comes next. The truth. Now, this is probably more important maybe right now than in recent history. What is truth? You know, Pilate asked that question. Don't know how he asked it whether he was mocking the truth, whether he was legitimately curious. Of course, we know the answer is he was staring at the truth. But brothers and sisters, today we live in a world where we have no idea what truth is anymore. We might as well not be able to decide on what's up and what's down. We have lost all sense of basic anything to the point we have no idea what the truth is and all the more reason that we need to be out of the craziness of the world and together fellowshipping together and worshiping the truth and that is Jesus Christ you know many things can have truth I believe in gravity I think that is a truth but is not the truth there is only one the truth and that is Jesus Christ John 14 and 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus Christ is truth. There is not just a little bit of truth that's in him. It's not that he has some of the truth. He is truth. And if you missed it a few years ago, you can go back and listen to about, I don't know what, 10-part series on the attributes of God. We eventually had to call it off somewhere. Not because God's attributes ended, but because we had to find a stopping point. But brothers and sisters, we're reminded that of all the things that God is, he's not part of this and part of that. He is all of it. It's not like he just knows all the truth. He is the truth. It's not like he is part truth and part mercy. He is all truth at all times. And if you want to know the truth, then go to the one who is the truth. And there's never been a time in history that it's more easy for you to open up one of the probably dozens of these Bibles you have at your house or your phone or your computer or your radio or your Internet and learn the truth. It is there. It is waiting for you in a way that we could never have imagined when this church was founded 118 years ago. I bet they didn't have enough Bibles 118 years ago. Really, think about it. Boy, what excuse do we have today? To not be in the word and know the word so that we can know exactly what the truth is. Because when we know the truth, it sets you free. That's an easy phrase. Maybe many of us have repeated it multiple times. Think about it a little bit deeper, if you will, for just a moment. To know the truth. Well, who's the truth? Jesus Christ. What does Jesus Christ do when you know him? Well, he sets you free. Free from what? Well, to start with, he sets you free from a condemnation and a sentence straight to hell. 
Because we are born into sin, we continue to sin, and our punishment of that is what? Eternal separation from Jesus Christ and His Father. And the only way to get around that is to put our faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because He is, follow me, the truth, the way, the life. There is no other name by which man can be saved. If you want to know the truth, he is the truth. And how does it set you free? Well, it sets you free. And you know, I've heard a lot of people, and some of you may agree with me. We've got a lot of rules, don't we, as Christians? A lot of thou shall nots. And a lot of thou shalls. And I'll just remind you, in case this is helpful for anybody, the thing that really drew me to God, that really got me to the point that I had to fall on my knees and for the first time in sincerity beg for forgiveness, was realizing that it wasn't the I shall, thou shalt nots that I was messing up. It was the thou shalts. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. If you are not doing that, then you are actively sinning. See, it's not just about staying away from things. It's about doing what God wants you to do, what he commands you to do, what, you, uh, what he deserves for you to do. And that is to love him with everything that you have. And when you do not do that, that is a sin. I got sidetracked. <laughs> the truth sets us free because it allows us to have a reunited relationship with him again. See, this was the goal from the very beginning. God created us so that we would have a relationship with him. That's why he came and talked with Adam and Eve and had a relationship with them. He didn't have to. You think God didn't have any idea what Adam and Eve were doing that day? Of course he did. But I would imagine he'd come down and talk with them. What'd you name this? What'd you find out about that plant? What's going on over here? See, God still wants to do that with us. And that's freedom. When we finally realize that we can try and keep up with this world all day long, we can try and become famous, we can try and become wealthy, we can try and become popular. But what we find and what the world finds is that that is all empty. There's nothing to it. And true, true freedom comes and knowing the truth and the one who will make you free. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So the church, the ecclesia, the called out, stay with me, rests on the truth that is in Christ. Not the truth that is in the church. See, we make mistakes. I make mistakes. We all do. This is not a scripture to support that somehow the church, I'm doing air quotes here, the church somehow has supreme authority to interpret the scripture and tell you what's right or wrong. This is based on the truth, which is Jesus Christ. And there's been a few too many, I'll just say loosely, Christian denominations who've gotten that completely backwards and used this verse, I think, improperly. I am not the final say for what is right or wrong. God is. Now, I try as best I can. I told you when I got here, we get reminded of this every once in a while, I'll tell you till I leave. If I'm wrong, come tell me. And if you're wrong, I'll tell you. Because that's the only way this works, is when we support each other in that way. 
We must build on the truth that Jesus Christ gives us, not on our own. And you know what hasn't changed in a couple thousand years? This book right here. We can reinterpret it all we want to. We can say, well, surely God didn't mean this. Or surely he meant this. But the reality is, God has given us his written word. He has chosen to reveal himself in this way and through his spirit. And we can't argue with it. And if at any point we are basing anything that we do on anything other than scripture, it's wrong. So let me summarize midway through with a couple of questions. I just finished teaching a class. And I think they thought it was kind of humorous because it was a senior level class. I asked them what the six basic questions were. Who, what, where, when, why, and how. And I explained that in my field, some of those are important and more important than others. We don't always know the why. Uh, But let's talk about that for just a minute. So we have heard, if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, in the pillar and ground of the truth. So where do we do this at? Well, in the house of God, clearly, when we're all together. But we also do it to the rest of the world. See, this is really a major focus here. We are, as I told the children this morning with the candle, to be reflecting the glory of God to a lost and dying world. They are to see everywhere we are the truth about who he is. Well, who is this talking to? Well, the ecclesia, those who have been called out. It's unfortunately not talking to those who haven't been saved. There's a lot of other scriptures that do. But this message right here is talking about those of us who know the Lord. And we're called according to his purpose. When are we supposed to do these things? Well, let me read Philippians 4.4. 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Always we're supposed to do this. This is about who we are to be as a people. As I read from Ezekiel, what should we do? We should be like this all the time. No matter what we're doing, whether we're at work, whether we are at school, whether we are on the road, whether we are in our homes, whether we are with our friends, even if we're with our enemies, who are we to be but people who reflect God all the time? Everywhere, at all time. And I think it's especially important today. In fact, if you continue reading on to chapter 4, it says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the later time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their consciences seared with a hot iron. Boy, are we there or what? We have people that wouldn't know the truth if it hit them in the head. They can't feel it anymore. If you ever had something seared, that's exactly what happens. You ever burned your finger or something like that, you realize at least it wasn't too bad. Maybe it gets better, but for a time you can't feel things or you can't feel things really well. And so this is what the scripture is telling us, that there will come a time, hello, where the people of the world will have their conscience seared like with a hot iron. They couldn't know what was right or wrong if it's right in front of them. And look at what we're dealing with today. As I said, we can't decide on which way is up and which way is down. But you know what the most common thing we hear today is? 
Well, I'll just do whatever I think is right, whatever my truth is. You wouldn't know your truth. You couldn't explain your truth. And your truth is going to change from day to day because if you're trying to feel your way through life, you can't feel a thing. And so we have a real problem. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. You know, this even happens in churches, doesn't it? Sure it does. Let's not fool ourselves. Now let's ask the next question. Why are these things important? Why are these things important? Well, the reason why gives us our motivation to actually do these things. Why should we care about this? Why should we read the scriptures? Why should we come together and worship together? Why should we do these things together? What is our motivation? Our motivation is twofold. One, our Lord and Savior demands it, and he earned it. When Jesus Christ died for you and for me, not only does he deserve that we follow after him and keep his, his, um, his commands and his will, both the things we should and the things we shouldn't do, he not only commands it, but he deserves it. Because you have been purchased with a price. Jesus Christ died because of you and because of me. Because of my disobedience, Jesus Christ had to die and had to come back to life because of me. You ever had anybody save your life? You ever been close? Some of you have. Some of you have been through some very, very, very challenging and difficult times and have had someone who has saved your life. And you feel like you owe them a lot, don't you? Well, the reality is someone did more than just save your physical life. Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. saved your eternal soul. And we ought to give back to him what we can. Well, that brings us to what? What are we exactly supposed to do? Well, the scriptures clearly tell us this. In fact, verse 16 gives us a guide. It says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world and received up to glory. So if we want to know what we're supposed to do, here's some foundational truths that we are supposed to stand on. What what are they? Revealed in human flesh. Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. Absolutely fundamental, foundational to every reason that we are here today is the very fact that we believe that Jesus Christ was not only a physical man, but was also God himself. That's why it's so important that he came in a supernatural way. And that's why it's so important that he died for us. And that's why it's so important that he rose to life on the third day and is seated at the right hand of God. If you do not know who Jesus Christ is, if you do not believe in him as factually revealed in the scripture and testified to through the Holy Spirit, then we are not worshiping the same God. And I'll go one further. If someone stands in a position of authority behind a pulpit like this and tells you that Jesus Christ wasn't God, you are not in a church. Justified by the Spirit, what does that mean? That means not only the work that Christ did in his ministry, but also the fact that he was resurrected 
demonstrate that the Holy Spirit was on him in a powerful way. Jesus Christ over and over again explains that he did only what the Father did. He mimicked the Father. He looked up to see what God told him to do, and he did that. And the Holy Spirit was on him, the third part of the Godhead, in a powerful way to perform all the miracles, the things that he did. And that, those works that he did, and the fact that he rose from the dead, is what gives us the hope and the justification, the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit was upon him, so that we could know who he was and who he is. Seen by angels. Well, angels witnessed to others about Christ's coming. We see them over and over again, don't we? We see them at his birth. We see them at his resurrection. And the very fact that angels are coming to testify to us, this is God, ought to be important to us. Preached among the nations. Preached to the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? Those are us. The non-Jews, basically. We'll just summarize it that way. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that you have heard the truth that is Jesus Christ? Aren't you glad that you live in a country that is free enough for the moment that allows us to come together and to preach out of this book and to say the things that are true, which is Jesus Christ? Because that is how we know and that is how we live. And remember, that is how we are set free. And I'm thankful that for many, many years... Someone has faithfully carried this message forward. It's part of what we're celebrating today, isn't it? 118 years, someone has stood and preached the word of God among this group of people. That is a testimony to who he is. Believed on in the world. Believed on in the world. Do you believe today? You see, part of what we call a testimony is this idea that we're going to tell people about the experience we've had with God, about how it changed us, about how it moves us, about how he teaches us, about how we are different now than we used to be because of what he did for us. Now, you still have to have the scriptures. You still have to have the Holy Spirit work in someone's life to have a life-changing experience. But understand and never underestimate how God will use your testimony of your belief in him to reach someone to help them come to know him. And lastly, he was taken up in glory. See, Jesus Christ isn't here and he doesn't live in my heart. He is seated at the right hand of God. Scriptures say interceding, praying for us, praying for you. That means that right now, Jesus Christ, God, man, who walked on this earth, who died, who was buried, who was resurrected, is seated next to God and praying on our behalf. He's praying for you. You having a good day? You having a bad day? Do we really believe this? I hope so. Sometimes I think until we really struggle, we don't fully understand it, do we? Brothers and sisters, we can take confidence in the fact that Jesus Christ is in glory next to his Father, and we are on his mind, and he knows us individually. Now, there's many other things that we should be focusing on, but these seem the most relevant given the passage, so we'll stop with there for the what we're supposed to do. 
But I want to talk about how for just a minute. How do we do all this? How do we abide by these two verses? How are we to live knowing these things? Let me draw our attention to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. No, I'm sorry, chapter 6. Beginning with verse 10. I'm going to read through this. Many of us will be familiar with this, but I want you to pay special attention to the word stand. I'm going to emphasize it when I read it. It's in there four times. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to um, quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the sword of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. And so, brothers and sisters, we get really, really good advice here. Stand. We're not called to fight. We're called to stand. We're called to be ready to fight. We're called to be dressed in combat gear, ready at a moment's notice. But you know all we have to do is simply just stand there. Because we can't physically fight against what's coming our way. It is a spiritual battle that only God, only the Holy Spirit can actually do. Now, this doesn't mean that from time to time God will ask you to do certain things. He certainly has asked me to be here. A little bit more than ask, but you get the point. There will be times in your life that God will tell you to do certain things for him. But there are other times, and I dare say most of the time, that we are simply to fellowship with each other and to simply, as a body of people who are called out, stand in the power of God. And when you've done all you can do to stand, stand. Run those two sentences together. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girded about with truth. Does the foundation move? Sure hope not. Do you want a pillar that's holding something up to move? Nope. You want it to stand. You want it to stand still. You want it to stand fast. You want it to stand strong. We are to stand on the truth that is God. Let's bring this full circle. Church of the living God, which is the pillar and ground of the truth. 
You see, we are not only to stand on Jesus Christ, but we're to hold something up too. And that's our duty collectively as a church, as those who are called out as the ecclesia. We are certainly to stand on the truth, but we are also to stand under the truth, holding it up, stiffening it, stabilizing it, supporting it, showing the world the truth. I think that's what this scripture is trying to tell us. We are to stand on Jesus Christ, but we are to hold up the truth to the world. And that means that we don't change our opinions based on the times we stand on the scriptures. That we don't waver back and forth between what is right or wrong or true today and wrong tomorrow. We stand on the truth that is Jesus Christ and we hold it up for a lost and dying world to see. Because the only way that they're going to see Jesus Christ is through the Holy Spirit working in their lives, which is almost always often done through us. And when we are not living a life following after him, we are not holding up the truth to a lost and dying world. And if there's anything, as I pointed out, that the world needs today, it's what? It is truth. It is fact. It is certainty. And we are literally dying on the inside because we've taken that away from everybody. That's why suicide rates are so high. That's why crime is skyrocketing. We've, given, we've taken away every reason for anyone to ever live for anything. To live a right life. There is no truth. Que sera, sera is a classic phrase. Whatever will be, will be. Just do whatever you want to. It's the furthest thing from the truth. And deep down inside, we know it. We're empty because of it. And it is our job as believers in Jesus Christ, as those who are separated, the church of the living God, to stand to be the pillars and the ground for that truth. For 118 years, Taylor's Chapel, we as Taylor's Chapel Baptist Church are the structure that holds up the truth to the world. We've done this for 118 years. Sometimes better than others. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes bigger, sometimes smaller. The number doesn't matter. The truth does. However, we measure success in material. All we're asked to do is what? Is to stand. I'm not asked to fight. I'm just asked to stand and be ready. And Jesus Christ and his power will use us. And this is why, brothers and sisters, we must take what we call church seriously. It's how God has chosen to use us. It's how God has chosen to collect us. It's how God has chosen for us to identify with each other. And we must take it seriously. Psalm 16 and 8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not be moved. And if we're not going to be moved, like I said, I have to take the church seriously. We have to guard against what the scriptures call carnal philosophies, things of this world that are wrong. Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophies and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the eternal spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. See, we have a standard. We have truth. We must abide by it. Don't let anybody come in here and tell you anything otherwise. 
Don't let anybody trick you into anything that you're not supposed to believe. In fact, it goes on, talks about false teachers. 2 Timothy 4, 3, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears that they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Why do we see that a lot today? That preacher yells too much. This one's too serious. This one's too much Bible. This one's too long. You might be saying that now. Don't go looking for what you think you want. Go look for the truth. And when you have found it, support the body that's going to give you that truth. Certainly can't change the gospel, Galatians 1.8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Brothers and sisters, again, I stand on behind and hold up to you the scriptures as best as I possibly can because in this is the truth and the life and the way to Jesus Christ and there is one way and only one way and it is straight and it is narrow and few will find it broad is the way that leads to destruction again I'll go back and say if we start changing the gospel we're not really a church are we because we failed to reflect and to support the truth of God. We also occasionally have problems with misconduct in the church. That weakens support for the truth of the world. and causes internal strife. We should seek to avoid that. My summary here is today, many don't take the church very seriously, do we? We really don't. Some never join, some never participate, some never, never give. I'm not here chiding anyone today. I'm not here trying to provoke you. I'm here telling you that the church is a very serious matter. It's the pillar and ground of the truth. Some of you today have come from distances who attended here previously, and you have a home church. If that's where God wants you, then by all means, stay there so that you can stand for Jesus Christ in a church that preaches the truth Make sure that you're involved. Make sure that you're active. Make sure that you are involved in the church and participating. God took it very seriously. How serious did he take the church, us, the ecclesia, the called out? Well, he took it serious enough to send his son to die for it. Perhaps this verse will help you. Ephesians 5, 25. It's a command. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. I'll read a different translation. It expands on it. It says, Husbands, love your wives. Seek the highest good for her and surround her with caring, unselfish love, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Our world, our country, our state, our community, our family. They don't need a church that conforms to the world. They need a church that stands. A church that says, Jesus Christ is truth, and this far we will come no further. 
Jesus Christ said this to be fact. The Bible teaches this to be fact. We believe it. We stand under it and we hold it up to you and we shall not be moved. That is what a lost and dying world needs. That's what your family needs. It's what your friends need. It's what our government needs. It's what our state and our country. It's what the entire world needs is the churches of God to be pillars and ground in the truth to stand and never, ever, ever waver. They need a body of called out believers who just stand as the pillar and ground of the truth, which is Jesus Christ. I am thankful today that for many, many years, this church, this particular group has done that. And I'm thankful that many, many people have gone before to carry that for us who've modeled the behavior that Paul described to Timothy, who taught us and led us. I won't do a history lesson today, maybe next year. But just as a quick reminder, I'm almost done, I promise. Let us not think that we don't have an impact. Because somebody shared the gospel and modeled the gospel for my parents. And somebody did it for the person who did it for them. And on and on and on. We have an impact when we stand for him. And everything you do in truth for him will not pass away. All the rest of the stuff we do, our money, status, titles, even our church membership, it's gone. But what we do for him matters. And so I want to challenge us today. As we look back, let us be thankful. And when we conclude here in a minute and we go over to have a meal and you see somebody here who's helped you, please tell them. I've missed my chance for most of my Sunday school teachers. Even a couple of the younger ones. Tell you one I haven't missed a chance for. Thank you, Daddy. Taught me for several years. And I know that as we see old friends and people who've gathered that we haven't seen for a while. Let's let them know what they've meant to us. If they're not here, then maybe they will be this afternoon. If they're still not here, give them a call. Because sometimes we need that encouragement, don't we? We need to be reminded to stand. Just call them and say, thank you for standing for the truth. And that will bring to mind somebody who stood the truth for them. And that will encourage all of us. At the end of time, all we can do is simply to stand. Let me pray over us and then we'll have a hymn. Lord, we thank you.
for the opportunity to be here today. Lord, I thank you for those who are here. Lord, I thank you for blessing us. I thank you for being here, knowing that because your brothers and sisters, the believers in Jesus Christ are here, that you are here too. And Lord, I pray that you would make your presence abundantly felt both now and in the activities and the services and the worship that follows, Lord, that we can be obedient to you. Lord, may you revive us and help us to stand for what is truth. And when we're not sure what that truth is, to seek you to find that truth, to seek the scriptures, to put the things in our minds, in our ears, and in our eyes, Lord, that bring honor and glory to you so that we can stand for you. Lord, I thank you for all those who have gone before us, who have labored and toiled to do what is right, just to stand Lord, I pray that you would give us many more years to stand for you. And Lord, however long we have, I pray that we'd be faithful to you, that we'd love you with all of our heart, our soul, our strength, and our mind. And Lord, I pray if anyone has never truly loved you, Lord, that you would call them today to repent and to seek you Lord, so that they can join us and stand for you. Lord, we love you and thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's have a hymn, a time to reflect, a time to pray.